Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. It's amazing that it's December and this year, 2018, seems to have sped by and so much has happening and is happening and so many changes are occurring. I wonder how you particularly feel about it. As I said, if you'd like to text in at any point, what uh, we're really interested in is your sense of the future. This is future sense. How are you feeling in response to uh, those external things and the internal things that are also going on inside of you? Because there are there is so much to make sense of. There is so much to make sense of. And sometimes it's it's important to get guidance, and we all need guidance, I guess, of one, of one type or the other, whether it's your uh, your partner or uh, uh, someone that you might go and see or a book that you might read or some uh, element that you might experience when you're in nature, for example. Talking to a tree is also always a good thing or a, a bubbling stream. I was just up in... Uh, on the Sunshine Coast over the weekend, and um, with my with my partner, and we uh, we had a beautiful uh, weekend in the in the bush there. And for sure, that moment when silence kind of overcomes the noise in your head enough to stop and to be still and allow things to to come through. But you've been in a different environment, Steve. Last week um, down in Tasmania and experiencing the Channel Cry on Lee Carroll. I think started channeling in about 1989 when he was kind of pushed or forced by spirit, as he said, to something uh, like that to to speak what came through him with this entity called Cryon. Yes, and you know this talk may sound rather strange to some people out there. Talk, good talking to trees and, and those sorts of things and channeling. Uh, but uh, Lee Carroll is an interesting character. He's an engineer by trade, so yeah. he doesn't come from a New Age background or anything. And I'm not sure exactly how he started channeling, but I'm sure it came as a surprise to him and the people around him. Yeah. Um, and he speaks uh, or, or he allows uh, an entity, a, a personality called Cryon to speak through mm. him. So it's K-R-Y-O-N if you haven't heard of Cryon. Mm. Uh, and uh, as you said, he, this has been going on for a long time, I think uh, 30 years or almost yes. uh, thereabouts. Including some time when he's been invited to speak at the United Nations a number of times, which uh, is I interesting. Think, yeah, yeah, and uh, so 14 books have been written mm. directly uh, containing Cryon's channelings, and uh, Australian author Monica Maranyi, who was also in Hobart, and I understand um, you know, she travels with, with Lee Carroll uh, as an assistant, and she's compiled a number of other books so so there are more than 14 books uh all of the books that monica has compiled also contain channelings of cryon as well and i think she's done a lee carroll's actually saying in hobart that monica's done an amazing job of cataloging the, the topics various topics that have been in various channelings and compiling them quite expertly in these extra books that have been published mm. under her name um and uh cryons and lee carroll rather and monica uh accompanied by a cryon, I'm sure, are on a national tour of Australia at the moment, and they've done 10 channelings in different places around the country. I think they started in Brisbane, and uh, the last, most recent ones were in Hobart, and uh, I believe they're on a, a bit of a holiday 
uh, like they they do tours oh, wherever they, they, they do go. holidays. Yeah, they they um they invite people to go on tours of different places that they're visiting, you know, for for uh, days at a time. And I think uh, Cryon stops and channels in various spots uh, during the tour. And I think he's doing that in uh, some lovely scenic spots in Hobart. Oh, I'm sure nice. we'll hear those recordings in due course. Also, I think his uh, his last book you've read, haven't you? Called the News and the New Human. I think yeah, 2017, the evolution of humanity, which is really what he's talking about all, uh, along the, the way, always, but particularly now when we've got this incredible pressure for change you could say going on yeah um it's the only crime book i've ever read actually and i found it very mm. interesting and uh, like all of the books uh, that have been directly published by lee carroll they're just uh, a uh, recording of, of you know the actual channeling so mm. so uh, they come from various places and various times but some really interesting information in that book the new human which is book 14 crimes book 14 mm. if you're interested in looking at that yes i can recommend it so what's he saying? I mean, because uh, I know you told me off air this morning that uh, he's been detailing some of our uh, the prehistory of of humans as we now find ourselves. Yeah, some of that deeper history. Do we want to go there, folks? If you're ready for a little bit of out there in the galaxy, out there in the stars, and I'm sure you are. That's I'm, right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if not, hang on to your seat. <laughs> this might be somewhat unexpected, but all of his channelings uh, so far during this trip to Australia had mm. been around the subject of consciousness, which has been very interesting, yeah. uh, considering that we talk about that a lot. Yeah. And uh, he's talked about the idea of consciousness being like a box that you're you know, experiencing the world from inside of. And uh, in terms of it being a box, he, he says that it can be impermeable to you know outside input, so we can kind of get stuck in a box. and. Mm. Uh, just think a certain way and be rigid in our value sets mm. and those sorts of things and not open to change. And uh, he's talking about the possibility of you changing that arrangement of your consciousness into what he's calling a semi-permeable bubble. So like a flexible balloon. Sounds, sounds softer, doesn't it? It does. It certainly does. Yeah, more and, amenable to travel. And I'm sure it comes in, in more uh, variety of colors as well. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and this semi-permeable bubble would be like a balloon that can expand or contract as appropriate. And, and uh, you know, things can pass through the membrane of the bubble mm. uh, is what he's suggesting. And this, of course, equates directly to mm. a concept in Claire Graves' research, uh, which he called... Um, the being open or closed to change and and he said Claire Graves said in his research he found that people were usually or always in one of three different uh, conditions they were either uh, permanently close to change so they were kind of like in a box as cryon would said and they you know you can give them new information but it just doesn't impact their yeah. values or their behavior just does not land and Graves gave an example of uh, how that might play out in someone's behavior it's like it's kind of like uh, the idea of only having a hammer as a tool and so you, you think everything's a nail and so even when you're faced with a completely different challenge you still hit it with a hammer to say. Oh, oh, oh i thought we we're already onto politics or already onto coalition politics well it's all relevant it's all connected as you know oh dear it's all connected um so so someone who's closed permanently closed uh, applies the same thinking and solutions to every challenge that they encounter regardless of whether it's the same old challenge or a completely new one mm. and, and we've all met somebody like that or seen them on tv um and the another one of the conditions that graves identified was uh, someone who might be temporarily arrested so this would equate to in cryon's language some someone being temporarily in a box who may be uh, able to change at some point given the right triggers. 
And that's really who Cryon's been addressing some of his uh, channelings to during this trip to Australia. Mm -hmm. He's somebody who might be temporarily stuck or arrested, mm. who are sort of contained in a box in terms of their values, their behaviours, their, their ways of interacting with the world, and who might be triggered perhaps by a channeling from an extraterrestrial entity named Cryon. <laughs> Maybe so. And as you, I guess it relates to, as, as we talk about often, to Graves' work, where the, the, the challenge of uh, growth and evolution occurs where uh, life conditions uh, pressures happen and you tend to slip one tends to slip backwards into that box where it's been more comfortable where, where we think that we've succeeded before where we think we've solved the problems of our existence and so forth so it's a bit of a retrogressive retrogressive step but then so there's a possibility of opening that back up again and i guess making people feel safe and inspired to to accept and receive new information yeah so uh, as you're indicating there this often happens during a, a period of significant change mm. where we'll regress to old values uh, and those old values may well be very rigid and yeah. unchangeable uh, at least temporarily and then uh, the, the third condition that Graves identified was was being open to change so this equates to being uh, like uh, what you might call a complex adaptive system an mm. open system mm. which is open to input from outside its boundaries uh, which is able to respond to that input uh, in uh, relevant and, and uh, constructive ways. I mean, even if it's if it's uncomfortable input, I guess that's the secret. Absolutely, yeah. yeah and, and often, you know, that's exactly the kind of input yeah. that requires change of, of you mm. uh, and uh, who's also capable of um, digesting that external input and actually changing, you know, their core values mm -hmm. at a very deep level. Changing the core values at a very deep level, that's a Big ask. It it's is a big ask, yeah. and it's it's what's known as transformational change because it transforms who mm. we are. And it is what is absolutely necessary on this planet now. It's what a lot of people are going through right mm. at the moment, exactly. So that was very interesting, uh, and it was interesting for me to, to listen to Cryon's language and just try and translate his concepts into what I've studied of Graves' work to, to really get a feel for what he's actually talking about. Yeah. Um, that was good. And, uh, and then when we went to the event in Hobart, which was at the Rest Point Casino, an interesting uh, venue, it was. Um, and I think I get the impression that they actually do these events at, you know, they select these venues because they, they uh, go in the hope of sort of taking a different energy into the place and perhaps distracting people from the poker machines to think about deeper issues, I guess. Um, so during the event, which went for, uh, I guess it must have gone for about uh, three and a half hours, there were just two channelings, each of which were only about 15, 20 minutes long. So uh, there was a lot of other time. And during that other time, uh, both Lee Carroll and Monica Miranyi uh, gave talks. And those talks weren't recorded. They're not normally published as far as I know. So you can only sort of hear these things by going along to the event. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, I did go along because one talk that Lee gave was very interesting and, uh, and Monica also, I think, contributed to this uh, topic as well, and that was on the history of modern humans. Yeah. A very unconventional history. Uh, and uh, just in brief, he, here's the story that Lee related, and this information is not stuff that Lee's made up. It's come from Cryon's channeling, so it's, you know, it's uh, solid in that respect. And um, for those of you who haven't heard me talk about Cryon before, I, I often mention Cryon as one of the sources that I have paid attention to for the last few years. Uh, and part of the reason for that is because um, in my analysis of the information that he's conveying, I've never really been able to fault his way of conveying it or the, the actual subject matter. I've never found anything that uh, contradicts it, that, that comes from a, a reliable source. Mm. 
So in talking about the history of modern humans, uh, Lee said that 200,000 years ago, according to Cryon, some extra, extraterrestrial folks from the Pleiadian, uh, the Pleiades no, constellation. The, Pleiades, the Seven Sisters. Yeah, they came visiting. And um, he talked about how these, this idea of the Seven Sisters is recorded in many, many different indigenous yes. uh, mythologies. In so in, many. It's incredible. our own yep. here in Australia. And mm -hmm. he mentioned specifically uh, visiting Uluru in that region there mm. and seeing artwork uh, portraying the Seven Sisters. Mm. And... Um, he said that there was an intervention made at that time, 200,000 years before the present, whereby female extraterrestrials from this delegation interbred with local males, uh, thus creating a hybrid uh, type of human. Very interesting idea. Very interesting idea. Immediately you think of, uh, of uh, sort of interstellar feminism and the, the notion that uh, the, the, the female component is, is the, is the saviour I'm extending here. I, I know. Well, you know it, it, I, mean, it raises, <laughs> I think we could raise There are all sorts questions. of things that we could talk about in, in relation to this. You know, one of the things that it made me think about is uh, this, uh, you know, and I, I don't know if there's any science or, or uh, solid information to back this up but I've often had the impression that women at certain ages are often more evolved it would seem than men oh, in, well, their, in their values their absolutely values. I, I'm convinced of this yeah yeah, I'm convinced. Of this. I, I, I've actually felt and thought that way for quite a long time. Yeah. That that women at, at whatever age I might be that I meet in that sort of general uh, general age group. Uh, will tend to be a lot more aware, conscious, advanced. Of course, as a generalisation, there's always exceptions, but yep. overall, yes. And I think it's pretty, pretty clear, well, really. Pretty well acknowledged in the You'd education so. system, at least, that yeah. uh, women tend to mature faster than men, you know, in terms of their values. Which you could argue is why men have had to use their often more brute strength and sort of dumbed-down sort of uh, box-like opinions to try and rule things and, and control the world, which we've done a very good job of. Which it, it's uh, not to, that they've, to had, great to, they've had no choice. <laughs> that's right. That's right. If you're not smart enough, what, can, what else can you do? So <laughs> oh, girls, so save really us, please. Uh, yeah. That was really interesting. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure we've... Uh, sparked a few conversations out there in listener land this morning uh, with our comments there. But he, he did, uh, Lee also referred to um, some work by Greg, Greg Braden, Greg Braden. Who's, uh, mm. an American author and speaker and uh, mm. scientist who talks about these things. Uh, yes. lovely, lovely guy, Greg, I've had uh, opportunity to talk to him a couple of times. And in his, I think it's his most recent book called Human by Design, he's talking about uh, these things called fused telomeres. Fused telomeres. Yes. Telomeres uh, that are fused together. That's right. Now, uh, just a, a warning to our listeners here: we're we're ranging far outside our uh, scientific knowledge, scientific knowledge and competency here. So uh, just bear with us and don't try this at home, whatever you do. <laughs> but uh, apparently, our genes—I'm talking about human genes here—contain DNA, uh, and uh, these DNA strands are on chromosomes. And uh, help me out here, Nick, if I get stuck. Uh, I will. And uh, where these telomeres are actually... Uh, well, the structures at the end of the chromosomes. That's exactly. I think they, they yeah. lessen as you get older. I think that's part of an indication of ageing, in fact, yes. when the telomeres sort of shorten for a start. Yeah, so, so the big deal is that in, uh, in gene number two, or is it chromosome number two? Sorry, chromosome number two in our 23 chromosome pairs that we have as humans... Uh, there's something unusual in chromosomes number two, uh, something that's not found in the other ones. Mm. And what it is is um, it looks like 
two strands have been fused end to end. So in Wikipedia, it actually says human chromosome two is a result of an end to end fusion of two ancestral chromosomes. And this is very unusual. Uh, it's, it's not found in any, any of the other uh, chromosomes. And uh, like I said, these telomeres normally sit on the end of the strands, yeah. but they're in this particular chromosome two, the strand has two fused telomeres right in the middle of it, as well as telomeres on the end. And chromosome two is also the second largest human chromosome, so it's ex- obviously very uh, powerful in its... A lot of information uh, there. A lot of information there, yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, getting back to, to Lee Carroll and uh, his talk... So he's saying that this chromosome two is the result of this interbreeding between extraterrestrials and our ancestors at two hundred thousand years ago. Well, this is actually—I mean, this is actually in Wikipedia, not the, not the, about the extraterrestrials, but it, uh, it's—I didn't know this. All members of uh, Hominidae, uh, if they pronounce it badly, except humans. So Neanderthals and Denisovans have twenty-four pairs of chromosomes, but humans have only twenty-three because number two is a result of an end-to-end, as you're saying, fusion of two ancestral chromosomes. So, yeah, that's really, that's unusual. I mean, there's no explanation in Wikipedia or the straight science about this or how that came about or why. No, and mm. this really equates to the missing link, which everyone mm-hmm. talks about in our mm. ancestry, that they haven't quite figured out what went on around that time. So the solution, according to Cryon, is that uh, there was an intervention by these folks from the, uh, the Pleiades constellation, mm who interbred, uh, and particularly women ETs interbreeding with local males, mm. and resulted in this uh, fused telomere in our DNA. I've got some friends around here who think that's happened to them here in this, in this region. Really? Being bred by alien women. <laughs> Let's not go there. Um, and uh, just to continue the history... We're feeling cheeky so, today, so, folks. <laughs> so this history, uh, for the next uh, 110,000 years, uh, it seems that... Um, Things were left to uh, develop naturally, yeah. but uh, by, by ninety thousand years ago, only hybrid humans remained. So all of those ancestors who didn't mm. take part in this interbreeding with the ETs apparently died out mm. during those one hundred ten thousand years, and the only folks that were left, the only humans that were left, were uh, hybrids by ninety thousand years before the present time. And then at fifty thousand years ago, there was an, a, a bunch of Pleiadians who. Uh, established a settlement on the planet and uh, cohabited and, and quite likely uh, continued interbreeding, I guess, with the locals here on Earth. And uh, he spoke, Lee Carroll spoke specifically about uh, the lost continent of Lemuria. Lemuria, yes. Which he says was actually what is now Hawaii. <laughs> and uh, at that time, uh, 50,000 years ago, there was a lot more landmass there. And uh, interestingly, that period 50,000 years ago equates in Claire Graves' work to the emergence of the second, second. layer mm. of human evolution. The first tribal expression of yeah, human which experience. Yeah, traditional tribal mm. life. And this was also a time in history when there was a sudden explosion of culture, mm. uh, art and the like, uh, which hadn't existed previously, mm. but all of a sudden just suddenly appeared. And, and again, that's another question you know, in our history is why suddenly 50,000 years ago, did we start producing cultural items mm. where we hadn't done it for the previous 150,000 years? Uh, so this could be the explanation, folks. And um, from 50,000 years ago till about uh, 30,000 years ago, the, the we continued to have these uh, ETs coexisting with us on the planet, according to uh, Cryon. 30,000 years ago, the civilization on Lemuria was at its peak. 
And uh, since then, he said, there have been five different human civilizations that uh, flowered and then were mostly lost or destroyed. So this could relate to, he didn't really go into much detail around which civilizations those were, but it could equate to people like the, the Maya, for example, uh, and similar civilizations that, that mm. have been found, uh, you know, where we found the remains, the buildings, but uh, it, there's a question mark over what happened to them or where they went or who their ancestors are to some extent at least and he said they were mostly destroyed he didn't say they were entirely destroyed so he that implies that there were some survivors yeah. that, that continued on from these yeah. different civilizations but um it, it it kind of implies perhaps a few false starts or things that were civilizations that were perhaps destroyed by natural events so it, overall is he suggesting that we are as many people have claimed and, and, and expressed in various ways that we're an experiment of some sort on this planet we, we, we've been yeah. we, we've been fiddled with the sort of supposedly in inverted commas natural evolution in, in the nicest way in the, <laughs> it's very nice to be fiddled with in the right way all of us would agree with that i think that's very true it's very nice to be touched and to touch and to love it's it's such a shame that touch has become you know political statement anyway that's another that's another topic uh, yes we're we very cheeky today track here, yeah right? we're getting off the track come um, bring it back anyway so uh these <laughs> five different humans and civilizations since thirty thousand years ago which which have mostly been lost or destroyed and then about fifteen thousand years before the present time the uh, continent of lemuria mostly sank under the ocean mm. and that was the result of uh underwater volcanic activity mm. Uh, there was apparently a large like bubble of magma which had swelled up and raised all of this landmass above sea level for, for quite a long time collapsed. and then it all sank again eventually and so a lot most of the uh, continent of Lemuria sank under the ocean quite possibly the uh, the origins of the the great flood myth yes yes certainly uh, in fact Lee mentioned that this is mm. is some one of the things that contributed to what he called the myth of Atlantis yes and uh, Cryon has said that uh, the, the idea of Atlantis wasn't a single event, but it, it's it's kind of a, a story that's been compiled as a result of multiple yeah. incidents over over the long-term uh, period of history where land masses have sunk under the water, islands have sunk, and that's kind of been recorded in our memory. Yeah. And uh, some folks from, who were in Lemuria at that time, 15,000 years ago, when this uh, big uh, sinking of the island happened, um, escaped to other places, uh, other islands in the Pacific, um, New Zealand was mentioned, yeah. and uh, that place where it's got the big statues, Easter Island, Island yeah. yeah, was an, another yes. place. Uh, and um, and really, that was that was pretty much the end of the, the story, or you know, the long term story of human history that Lee um, was was relating there. But very very interesting. And what's his summary about that? I mean, what does that? What do, do, is the sense that you got, and what did he say uh, about that? About why we are now at this point in time with that prehistory that we are not aware of, and yet there is there are many claims of this type, uh, often sort of in sync with this, often sort of related to this kind of notion of, of uh, alien uh, seeding of this yep. planet of star seeds coming yep. here. Um, all of all of that package to me. Is really interesting to to know exactly what the truth is is one thing. It'd be very nice to absolutely know what happened here, but more so on a kind of you know on a on a on a transrational level, what this means for us now and how this these kind of ideas, which are definitely being infused more and more with more people on the planet more often, more people are receiving and accepting or listening to these kind of ideas. They're receptive. Their box is not so closed. What what's this? What's the what's the purpose of this? You think? 
I think the purpose is that if we look at human evolution and particularly, you know, from a, a source like Claire Graves' research, yeah. uh, we can see that as we grow through these different layers of consciousness, each layer has a particular scope of interest and understanding and influence. Mm. And at the yes. lower layers, that scope is relatively small. You know, like in, the, in our hunter-gatherer days, uh, we were mostly interested in a very small piece of land that we used to roam around on, a very small social group, and there was you know, a limit to the amount of influence that we could have on, on our mm. world. And that has gradually increased with each layer of consciousness. You know, our, our scope of interest, our capacity to influence things has expanded with each layer. Mm. And here we find ourselves at this time in history with... Uh, many people having a scope of interest that encompasses the entire planet mm. and and many of us even having the capacity to influence things you know around the planet which with, with um, you know such simple things as a social media post for example yeah. uh, which, which can spread like a virus around the planet and influence many millions of people in a very short space of time mm. and so I think it's very appropriate at this time in history that this kind of information is being introduced because we have really for the first time in a long time we have the capacity to actually digest it you know mm. we, we've got this large-scale interest which for some people is extending off the planet i mean you know look at elon musk and his plans to fly to, to mars we've for just, example yeah well we've just landed a a, a satellite on mars anyway that, so we, we've, yeah. we've already begun that process of extending even further out that, physically from yeah, this realm. exactly exactly we have so mm. you know it's a very relevant time in our history mm. for us to be fed information which may be true yes uh, i think that's the point here is it is uh, whether or not this is specifically true or not this particular version what is interesting is that it gives more and more people as you're saying on this in this global frame that we now exist in the potential to uh, to imagine to encompass to to expand and and uh, and allow uh, and embrace uh, bigger versions of ourselves, I guess, yes, bigger yeah. ideas about ourselves yeah. and who we are on this planet. Who we time. are, where we come from, what we're capable yes, of. Yes, all that. Exactly. Mm. You know, the thing that I find particularly interesting is that this information links with so many other little bits of information that we have about yep. our past, which have been largely unexplained. You know, yeah. I mean, I can think, you know, as a, as a youngster, I'm seeing the the TV documentary about Von Daniken's Chariots of the Gods. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, when that shortly after his book came out, um, and all of the different civilizations that we've found, the buildings that we've found around the planet that have been built with technology mm. that we don't have right now, you know, the, these massive blocks mm. of rock that have been placed so amazingly uh, exactly mm. that in ways that we couldn't do with even today's technology. Mm. Uh, you know, it's something... There's something lost from our history that we we don't have, and this may be you know part of that mm. missing piece. And it's amazing that we have such an incredible blind spot to those very things that some of these structures, like the Great Pyramids of Egypt and other places, and other structures like that, and some of these prehistories, we somehow have just we've just closed the door up until this time. Most of us, most of the time, on actually receiving some of that and going like, well, that's a very big question. How was something like that built? supposedly 5,000 years ago, but probably much older. How did that happen? Yeah. And uh, for most people, we, they just don't even want to ask that question, but it's, big, it's changing clearly. It is changing. We're expanding yeah. into a, a different version of ourselves. Exactly. Evolving. Exactly. Yeah, you're in a future sense. <laughs> Spiral up. Indeed. That's what we're doing. Um, we're talking a little bit uh, about uh, Steve's experience down with uh, the channel Lee Carroll of uh, the entity Cryon and a little bit more about that before we move on. 
in Hobart recently. And if you're interested in listening to Cryon's channels, you can go to cryon.com, that's K-R-Y-O-N.com, and follow the free audio link there. And you'll see on the 2018 links, the uh, most recent ones are all from Australia during his current visit. And also, I might mention uh, something that Lee said when we were in Hobart, and that is that there are a lot of links to uh, which purport to, to be to Cryon channelings on YouTube. And he said that these are not official links and they're actually clickbait used by people who are trying to earn advertising money by using Cryon's name and sometimes even Cryon's registered logo. So stay away from the YouTube mm. stuff. And mm. uh, if you want to listen to the genuine Cryon channelings, go to cryon.com and listen to the audio there. Mm. Now, we've been talking uh, a little bit about the channelings which mention human consciousness and... Uh, how it's changing, but also about another talk which I uh, heard when I was at the event in Hobart, which was presented by Lee Carroll and uh, the Australian author Monica uh, Maranyi. And uh, it's about the history of modern humans, and this is not in the recordings. Uh, you actually have to attend the event to, to get uh, access to this kind of stuff, but uh, it's very interesting and it's suggesting that uh, modern humans are the result of extraterrestrial intervention. Uh, in our evolution, which began 200,000 years ago, around the time that uh, the first modern humans appeared, according to science. And uh, we've spoken about how that played out. Uh, Cryon has said in his channelings that uh, Pleiadians, in other words, extraterrestrials from the Pleiades um, constellation, visited the planet mm. around 200,000 years ago. Their female members interbred with local males producing uh, what were the, the first modern humans. And then uh, around about 50,000 years ago, settlements were actually established on the planet, which included Pleiadians living here mm. uh, amongst us and, and no doubt uh, interbreeding with us and teaching us. Uh, and you're still here, some of you. We know who you are. That's right. We have your numbers. Um, <laughs> and uh, primarily on the continent of Lemuria, which was in the the same location as modern-day Hawaii. In mm. fact, I understand that the, what is now Hawaii is the, the remnants of this ancient continent of Lemuria, which mm. sank into the ocean and uh, contributed, no doubt, to the, the myth of Atlantis. Uh, and um, then around about 15,000 years ago, Lemuria sank, which really ended that major uh, civilization with the, together with the ETs. Uh, some folks escaped to other islands in the Pacific, and, uh, and the information you know, of, of those events is recorded in a lot of indigenous history. Mm. And as we mentioned at the start of the show today, that includes in our own indigenous history here in Australia, where yeah. uh, Lee Carroll uh, mentioned going to Uluru and looking at the artwork there, which depicted the Seven Sisters yeah. uh, in the artwork. So yeah. it's very, really, really interesting. Uh, something else he said during that talk was that before the time of Christ, so before about 2,000 years ago, life on the planet was lived according to a system of law. He, he used the, the terminology according to the dispensation of law, but it, you know, it, what that meant was uh, in a system of law. And I guess, you know, that's, that's a reasonable comment when you look at Graves' work and we see that with the emergence of tribal society came law, L-O-R-E, yes. and, and customs, yes. which is, uh, you know, it equates uh, to what we call LAW law mm. these days to some extent. And, uh, and eventually, with the agricultural revolution around about uh, ten or 12,000 years ago, you know, what we know as modern-day law began to emerge. As we started to uh, live in larger settlements and mm. cities, we needed laws mm. to live by. Became more codified. And, and, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and often, particularly in the earlier days, that law was religious law. It was like yeah. a, a set of rules to follow. 
as in the Ten Commandments, for example. And then that changed uh, with Jesus Christ arriving about 2,000 years ago, according to Cryon and, and uh, his channel, Lee Carroll. And it swapped from living according to the law to living according to love. And, and as we know, according to uh, some of the books, uh, Christ, you know, a big part of his teaching was about um, the sacred heart. Love thy neighbor. Exactly. As yourself. Mm. Yes. And then more recently in 2012, uh, Lee was saying that this shifted once again to living according to compassion. Yeah. Uh, so there are three sort of big eras that he's identified there, an era of law, an era of love, and mm. an era of compassion. That's very interesting. So we're now in that era of compassion. Yes. And yes. seeking to find that compassion between each other, which is the difficult thing for many still, and yet others, many others now are able to feel compassion, as you've said to me, for those who you've never met before. Those yeah. in various situations in the world, dire situations, life conditions really impacting badly and with great difficulty, wars, famine and so forth, yeah. that we're actually able to feel those people now more than we ever have been able to before, perhaps. That's right. And this sequence or progression that uh, Lee Carroll describes certainly um, fits with the, the evolutionary story from mm. scientific research mm. uh, because in our early evolutionary days, our centric perception was... A little bit more limited than it is today and so we didn't necessarily have the capacity to connect at a, at a heart-centered level yeah. with another human being and so we therefore had to be given a law to follow right which was a, a rational minded kind of a thing um, or, or at least something that we could we could remember and uh, and follow according to custom which might not necessarily be a rational minded I mean process. you even see this just as an aside I'm thinking now of the various uh, period dramas one might watch on television you know Downton Abbey or these yes. kinds of things or going further back even you know so we even talking about 100 or 200 years ago <clears throat> but certainly even further back the the, 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 the codes of, of behaviour in, in engaging with another being especially of the opposite sex but not just yes. uh, was, was almost painful to watch that now yeah. Yeah, exactly, like a rigid rule set yeah. that was followed and had to be followed. Because and so everything took a lot of time to just connect to someone else. Yeah, exactly. And and then progressing from there to uh, developing this capacity to connect heart to heart with another mm. human being in your presence, Yeah, uh, which equated to the to uh, what Crying was saying about Christ's teaching, teachings. And then uh, compassion, of course, extends that mm. um, really to be able to uh, engage in a heart-centered way or or at least identify in a heart-centered way with a human who's not in your presence mm. uh, you know like a third or fourth person uh, connection yeah. which equates to really where we're at globally at the moment uh, you know in terms of our emerging capacity as humans it's very interesting we were talking uh, my partner and I were talking a little bit about this this area I think yesterday or so uh, and how the notion of gossip that we call you know, gossip in the past and still, of course, uh, is what it is. It can be a distortion of truth for various purposes that one person may be perpetrating that bit of gossip, a bit of manipulation or trying to you know, find themselves in a position of more power or whatever they might be doing. But it would seem to me that nowadays the way that we talk with each other, those of us who are becoming more awake one way or the other, is is really a sharing that enables more compassion at its best. I mean, there's always it's yeah. it's always going to be polluted a little bit by one's own desires and ego centric. You know, maybe maybe. <laughs> 
Well, except for you, of course. <laughs> uh, present company accepted. Uh, but I think there's a there's a great truth to that. Is you know because we were saying how it's not great to talk about another person, but if you're doing it out of a sense of trying to engage to enhance a person's view of someone or a situation uh, and and doing it with kindness and love at the core of it somewhere, then it's a different sort of thing that's going on there somewhere. We're practicing compassion, I, I would suggest. It is. And, and this capacity for compassion is really emerging at this very moment with this new layer of human consciousness yep. that we talk about often on the show, this sixth layer, which yes. is just beyond the modern scientific industrial layer. Mm. And this is perhaps the biggest contrast that we're seeing uh, in politics at the moment is do our politicians have the capacity for compassion or not? And we're we're seeing a a massive contrast right now in relation to issues like the refugees on Nauru, for example, Mm. whereby some politicians can clearly express and and, uh, experience compassion and some clearly can't. And uh, I, I don't know if we should name names, but maybe maybe we should. I mean, uh, you know, they're not going to be in parliament much longer if the Minister, coalition has has any sense to itself, which is dubious. Minister Dutton is, yeah. is a classic example yeah. of uh, a human being who is operating at, at best from the the fifth layer of consciousness, which is the modern scientific industrial, whereby you know he undoubtedly loves his uh, family and immediate relations and, and close friends. Perhaps mm. there's no question of that. But when it comes to extending that loving feeling into mm. compassion and applying it to people that he's never met and who are remoted locately, then it's just not there. It's it's completely absent. Uh, and yet you take another politician like, for example, uh, Richard Di Natale yeah. from the Greens, who clearly is able to express that compassion. Compassion, yeah, and express and express yes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And that is perhaps one of the major differences that we're seeing uh, in, mm. in politics right at the moment. And that's right. And, and that is probably, arguably, one of the biggest tensions right there. Uh, and not just, of course, in Australian politics. We see exactly the same thing with, uh, with Trump and the Mexicans or the, the uh, or, or supposed terrorists or whatever. Yep. We're seeing it in the UK, large numbers of uh, European countries, uh, many countries around the world expressing this uh, battle between those who can feel this compassion and those who seemingly cannot. Yes. Very difficult tension because if you can feel that, you just cannot understand why someone else can't feel that. No, and, and the temptation is... Is, is often to say, well, these are bad people. Yep. You know, they're not good people. But in in really, you know, scientific terms, that's not correct. I mean, these are people who don't have the capacity, haven't developed the capacity yet, because they haven't been exposed to sufficiently complex life conditions to to cause them to grow into that. Uh, and so, um, yeah. you know, to to truly. <laughs> look at this in a compassionate way we have to understand that these are folks who don't have the capacity yet to do that it's not that they're they have it and they're choosing not to uh, it's that they simply can't do it they haven't haven't got the the operating system um, so it requires a degree of compassion for those of us who can feel compassion for those very for those people who can't feel compassion which is Absolutely. a bit of a paradox and part of the the way that we actually have to uh, align ourselves now on this planet to try and make sense of and, and begin to create a value system and policies that then emerge from that in, in terms of governance and so forth that reflect that ability in us. That's right, because if, jump. if we fall into the trap of saying that these are bad people or these yep. are people who are who are worse than us because they're not doing this, we're actually falling back into these old value systems mm. which don't express compassion. And you probably find that if you do that, because I know that's true for me when I get a bit, you know, a bit 
aggro, aggressive about injustice in particular, one sort or the other. And before your morning coffee, you mean? Before my morning coffee, that calms me right down. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't feel good to be on the attack against those who don't feel compassion or other things that we think they should feel or why yes. can't they feel it? It doesn't feel good to actually feel this against, this this push against it. No, no. So that should be, it, that should be a, a very telling sign for those I who... I think so. Yeah. And it's, it's an important point for, pe- for people... Sorry, I'll start again. Mm. Particularly people who are sort of on the edge of moving into this compassionate space, you know, and who are there sometimes mm. and not all the time. And it can be very confusing, you know, that they, they don't feel good when they express their opinions in that way that's not compassionate. But, but this is actually, this is what's going on. You know, as a, as a race, we are really on the, the cusp of moving into a new era, mm. which will be characterized by this compassion. Mm. Uh, and I think that, that sort of cognitive dissonance that you may feel in that situation is a, is, is, is a really good signpost that you're on the right track in the sense of, you know, how do you re-approach, redesign, realign yourself to, a, to a, a, you know, a, a bigger place inside of yourself that you already know exists, yep. but you fall back into that other place too often. Yeah, and that, that feeling of discomfort that might come when compassion is not expressed is really... Uh, it, it's you know an evolutionary tension that's guiding you mm. into a more compassionate place. Yes, uh, thanks for your text, which are going back to some of the stuff we we're talking about before. So maybe we'll uh, I'll just throw that just qu- very quickly before we move on. Um, one writer wrote, "What about we're talking about uh, things that were built by or or, or who built them? How yeah. do, how were they built?" Uh, and as uh, this person says, mentions a place called Coral Castle. Ever heard of this? Oh yeah, built in the U.S. last century of massive blocks of coral by one man, which he later moved to a different location. Um, yeah, yeah. A very unusual, impressive building. And I think he you know he did leave some record of how he moved those big blocks around. I think, but it doesn't quite stack up compared to the Great Pyramid at Giza. Yeah. Still pretty amazing. I, I, I looked at some photos just before here. Um, and another another piece here, there is also strong evidence that people escape from a sinking landmass, supposedly Mu or Lemuria, to what is now South America based on archaeological findings in uh, SA, well, in South America. Yeah, that's right. Well, there are so many pieces, and I think that's a, the that's a key to all of this stuff. There's so many pieces arising all over the place now, new discoveries, new approaches, science that that can analyze these structures and these ways of of being and the age of things and so forth. So we're, we're seeing continuing revolutions of all that material. We are. And in the absence of, you know, solid scientific evidence which ties all these things together, it really is worthwhile considering uh, information that comes from sources like Cryon, for example. And Cryon has a, a very, very good record of predicting scientific breakthroughs uh, before the fact. So, yeah. yeah, it's certainly well worth our attention. One of the other things that Cryon talks about, of course, is climate change. Climate change, yes, yeah. And uh, his his opinion is uh, somewhat contrary to the mainstream idea of global warming. And to so most of you out there, probably too. Yeah, exactly. He's talking about uh, long term cooling and not long term warming. Mm. Warming, rather. Yeah. Um, and he's one of a number of sources that I've been following for some years now uh, on this track of the idea that, that we're. We're in a long-term cooling trend, and that's certainly my uh, my understanding. And there are examples of this. Just uh, I think two weeks ago, in um, I think it was in in the state of uh, in Ontario in Canada, the, the uh, there were something like thirteen localities with the coldest temperatures ever recorded. And from the Washington Post, just the other day, uh, much of New York and the northern half of New England 
have seen an extremely snowy start to the winter. Um, snowfalls totals across New York and New England have surpassed one to two feet in many areas. Uh, this record and near record November snowfall has been caused by the same general weather pattern that led to record rainfall in parts of the mid-Atlantic into eastern New England and so on. Yeah, that's right. And, and these are weather events, not climate. I mean, climate is a, is a very long-term thing. Um, however, uh, you know, all of these small things stack up. And I think it's important at this time where there's a lot of media bias towards warm events. And yet, uh, much less media coverage of cold events and uh, and nonetheless there are some very very cold weather events happening on the planet at the moment um, we mentioned before on the show the documentary the cloud mystery yeah. which is on YouTube uh, very well worth a watch if you're questioning the mainstream idea of uh, long-term global warming and want to see some scientific evidence to the contrary the cloud mystery is uh, recommended mm. and of, of course we i already mentioned this morning that uh, from yesterday well today i guess uh, when, uh, the time is as now in poland almost 195 countries will meet in poland one of the most most polluted coal mining regions in Europe to agree on the rules for implementing a landmark deal to cut carbon emissions called uh, since the since the Paris Agreement. So that's interesting because you know how much of of the deeper information do they take into account? Not enough, probably. That's what we would argue. Yeah, well, uh, as we've discussed many times on the show before, you know, one of the key issues here is with this value shift from the, the scientific industrial era into the relativistic sixth layer which is characterized by compassion is what you're saying mm. there's a strong swing to emotional influence uh, you know a lot of different things happen during this transition between layer five and layer six one of the things is our uh, attention is turned inward and we go on a sort of a personal healing uh, adventure and uh, and you see that certainly in our local area here where there's a, a huge focus on personal development yeah. and healing and that's a, an example of this dynamic as we shift into layer six of our attention turning inwards and wanting to heal ourselves in preparation for uh, creating a solid platform for the big leap in consciousness which mm. comes between six and seven but um, that uh, i guess emotional viewpoint uh, emotional perspective on the world also starts to flavor things like science as well and so science is being um, impacted in a big way where scientists fears and concerns for future events possible future events not certain future events is starting to impact the way that they're doing science and even in simple ways such as you know there's very clear mainstream widespread concern at the moment around the issue of global warming and so that is tending to make scientists look to research and seek evidence of global mm. warming, okay, and then finding multiple warming events, and they're putting that picture together and saying, okay, we, we look like we're in a warming trend here, but the the absolute sort of bottom line science underpinning this whole idea is still very uncertain, and this is almost never reported in the media. And as an example, there was a recent article published by Martin Armstrong, who's a financial forecaster, that we often talk about on the show. And uh, Martin is writing about uh, a scientist called Professor Valentina Zarkova, who's, mm. who's one of the exceptions here when it comes to climate uh, research, except she's not a climate scientist. And, and this is quite often the case at the moment, is that these breakthroughs in understanding are coming outside the narrow field of, uh, of reference of, uh, for example, climate science. And so she's been studying the sun 
and she's in particular been studying the sun's climate and its yeah. solar magnetic field. Yeah, the magnetic fields. Uh, and yeah. she's found these uh, what are called dynamo waves, so wave patterns on the surface of the sun itself. Quadruple magnetic sources. That, that's the one. Yeah. And uh, she's been able to determine the existence of a very long cycles of activity in these uh, wave patterns on the sun itself. 350 to 400 year cycles. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> yes. the curve that she created from her study was able to be extended out to uh, long-term predictions like on a, on a millennial time scale, thousands of years. And her findings from that um, prediction, predictive curve, equate remarkably with what we already know about long-term climate patterns and events like the Maunder Minimum uh, from mm. around 1645 to 715 and earlier uh, climate and solar minimums uh, from, for example, the, the, the 1200s, the mm. 1000s, and even right back to uh, around about uh, between 10 and 400 BC during the Roman Warm Period. And those findings of hers then correlate with a pattern that Martin Armstrong found looking at economic activity because mm. what he found in his detailed historical study of economic activity is that it waxes and wanes with the weather. Like when we have very, very cold periods, human activity slows down, economic activity slows down mm. and vice versa. And so he's found that even though he wasn't looking at climate in any way, he was simply looking at economic trends and economic performance uh, when he put together what he calls the, the economic confidence model, which is a long-term uh, graph which comprises a compilation of a number of different wave patterns, he found that it equated exactly to the solar pattern, the solar cycles. Mm. And so now he's found that uh, that pattern and the equation that he sees also equates to this uh, solar wave activity documented by Professor Zarkova. And uh, what it all points to, of course, is uh, a long-term cooling trend and an impending uh, mini ice age. Mm. Intense. And as we've said a number of times with this show before, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't get rid of coal. Another report in um, Reuters talks about that 40% of the world's coal plants are operating at a loss due to high fuel costs. That's kind of funny, isn't it? High fuel costs. And that that proportion could, to ri could rise to nearly 75% by 2040 which is pretty amazing. The London-based Carbon Tracker analysed the profitability of 6,685 coal plants around the world, representing 95% of operating capacity and 90% of ca capacity under construction. And their analysis shows uh, a least cost power system without coal should be seen as an economic inevitability rather than a clean and green nicety, which is interesting in itself. Just the economics of, um, of power is shifting on this planet, uh, irrespective, uh, you could argue, of where the climate's going. On Sunday, as I've already said, that uh, these uh, countries, uh, all these countries are meeting in Poland. But this is, this is interesting because the, that whole um, um, confidence in things is what you're talking about when you when we talk about uh, when scientists talk about global warming and and for economic for uh, you know for all sorts of reasons find themselves focusing on that and and possibly ignoring other science the same is also true of course in the coal industry generally speaking that coal still in a country like australia is seen as somehow the savior we've seen adani claiming that they're about to start the, a small version of their coal mine up in the galilee basin and others there and yet the truth is economically that these things actually don't stack up anymore yeah, and I think the, the truth is, too, that it's not seen as a saviour. It's just that there is economic pressure on the government to support the coal industry. That, that's really the bottom line. Is yeah. the, the mining industry is extremely influential and it puts a lot of money into 
uh, political donations and is capable of manipulating the media, as we saw mm. in the case of Kevin Rudd. Mm. Um, so it's it's a matter of who's got the money has uh, a lot of influence at the moment. But Lee Carroll said during his talk, uh, just to reinforce something that you said, that you know this the fact that we may be in a long term global cooling trend is not an argument to stop reducing our fossil fuels because there's no reason why we shouldn't reduce and and, um, perhaps completely stop our use of fossil fuels and replace it with renewable energy sources. Well, I mean, it's it's very exciting that science is now uh, finding and uh, enabling the use of renewable energies, of natural energies, of solar, of wind, and the future will also see more use, I'd imagine, of magnetic energy, of gravitational energy, of other energies that we're not even uh, tuned in with yet. And yet, of course, science is starting to investigate these very these very places, and we're starting to see uh, very accelerated results of that kind of science emerging on the planet. So it's time to really, I think, accept that the change is, is going to be much faster than we, even those of us who are kind of understand that change is fast and, f- and speeding up, even then we're not going to catch up very easily with the potential of what is coming through the pipeline of, uh, as I think as you said, that as we think networks, as we think connections, as we think complexity, more and more network complex systems emerge that actually enable um, scientific change on the planet. That's right, as solutions. Yeah, and, and it's solutions, also it's yeah. about time that we started to pick apart the different issues as well, which often get conflated, like the, the idea of global warming is conflated with the, the issue of atmospheric pollution from uh, fossil fuels. Yeah. We need to pick those yes. issues apart and say so regardless of whether we're warming or cooling, we should still clean up, clean up our act. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And thanks for your text. Uh, there's a text someone has sent in a picture, a video message. We can't actually get that on here, so I'm not sure what you're trying to send there. Um, a bit of a light-hearted relief here, you could, you could argue. Um, you may have seen that um, outgoing president of Mexico, Enrique Pina Nieto, uh, suddenly last week awarded President Trump's advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner, Mexico's highest, greatest honour. That is called the Order of the Aztec Eagle. The Mexican population is absolutely stunned, given that Trump uh, calls them all rapists and uh, and criminals, and of course wants to build his wall. Um, and usually, this well, this award of the Aztec Eagle is an honor reserved for foreigners who make a significant contribution to Mexico's well-being. In this case, apparently, it was for a trade agreement, which is supposed to replace the North American Free Trade Agreement, the NAFTA, which was dumped by President Trump. And that uh, was expected to be signed. I'm not sure if it had, was signed at the G20 meeting that has just happened. But I find this to be, to be an incredible joke that, uh, you know, these sort of medals, these hollow medals are really uh, somehow a, a metaphor for the hollow society from which they, the societies and structures from which they come, that, that layer of consciousness that is passing away and uh, pinning medals on each other is, uh, is a kind of example of this, this last-ditch attempt to... To, to have some kind of uh, egoic satisfaction or something. At the same time, uh, the USA Today, which is a, an American sort of mid-range, ordinary kind of paper, it's not a rag, it's not right-wing, it's not uh, good journalism, but it's been around a long time. Strangely, it's come out this week, uh, given that uh, the Department of Justice in the US inadvertently named Julian Assange in a court filing in an unrelated case, suggesting that they have prepared charges against the WikiLeaks founder, uh, under seal, 
uh, USA Today has come out and suggested that Assange should not be uh, should not be charged with anything, but actually should uh, should receive the Medal of Freedom. I found that to be uh, really interesting, uh, going against the sort of grain in America. And you said this is kind of an example of this, this sort of split in values that occurs as we as we changing into a new layer, a new value system. Yeah, uh, so we've got this slingshot effect going on mm. whereby in the transition between the modern values and the, the uh, relativistic or postmodern values that come with layer six, there's often a backslide to layer four, which is uh, agricultural, authoritarian, very rigid value set, very black and white, um, you know, without any shades of grey in between. Mm. And uh, you can see, you know, the, the sort of harsh judgmental attitudes that have been... Um, Expressed towards Assange and, and uh, Wiki, Wiki, uh, WikiLeaks, yeah, WikiLeaks, right? Mm. Um, you know, have often been very black and white, and just said, "Look, this is wrong." You know, there's there's no discussion about it. It's just fundamentally wrong, and it's it's uh, you know, he's an enemy of the state and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and then from a you know that that sort of reflects this rigid layer four value set, and then from layer five layer five kind of twists and bends and changes values to, to suit itself so it'll say whatever it wants to say to, to get whatever it wants you know what well, has it said in this article trump loved wikileaks uh, in, in during his campaign for the presidency in yeah. fact he, he mentioned uh, wikileaks some 160 times yeah or so. and that, that's a great example of yeah. these movable values that yes. are a characteristic of layer five where you know depending on what the, your personal outcome is your, your personal idea of success then you'll grab whatever's nearby and twist it to, to fit with you know your story and that's that's a great example mm. uh, and then with the emerging layer six we've got as we've been talking about earlier in the show the, this idea of compassion extending compassion uh, to people and understanding having sympathy for their circumstances uh, and we're getting a you know a spread across at least these three value sets sometimes even you know in further in scope to it to out to further value sets further back down the chain mm. Um, and uh, and we're seeing things like this example that you've quoted from USA Today, where there's an organisation that doesn't usually you know express itself yeah. like this, doesn't usually ex- express these kinds of feelings, uh, but is suddenly showing up with a, a different set of values. Uh, and it's interesting; it adds to this rich mix that we've got going on globally at the moment, which is uh, you know building the, the evolutionary tension for change. Yeah, it's interesting too. The uh, in this article from uh, USA Today, it goes on the Assange indictment is far more threatening than Trump tweets snarling at CNN. The American Council uh, of Civil, Civil Liberties warns that prosecuting Assange for WikiLeaks publishing operations would be unconstitutional and sets a dangerous precedent for US journalists who routinely violate foreign secrecy laws to deliver information vital to the public interest. Trevor Tim of the Freedom of the Press Foundation declared, any charges brought against WikiLeaks for their publishing activities pose a profound and in incredibly dangerous threat to press freedoms. It is difficult to appreciate WikiLeaks. This is a key point here, very interesting. It is difficult to appreciate WikiLeaks without recognising how federal secrecy has become far more pervasive and dangerous since 9-11. If someone had massively leaked US government documents on Iraq in January 2003, the Bush administration campaign for war might have been thwarted. The federal government last year made almost 50 million decisions to classify information. And it finishes this article saying politicians and federal agencies have long recognised that, quote, what people don't know won't hurt the government. 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> and these are all examples of attempts by the layer five mindset to hang on to control mm-hmm. in the face of this emerging uh, values revolution, which is going on globally. Yes. And you know we're gonna we should expect to see that get worse and worse and worse until the point where it reaches uh, a tipping point. And the majority of people say no, just like they did in Victoria recently. Yes, yes. And before we move on to the, to the local politics as an example of this, just one text here which is relevant to our last conversation. We are talking about global emergency and climate breakdown. In some regions, extreme cold, others heat, drought here, floods there, etc. The phrase global warming is so last century, whoever is using it. Global emergency, climate breakdown. That's good a very point. good point, actually, because yep. whether it's going to get extremely hot or extremely cold, either way, we should be concerned and we need to prepare for it. Yep. And, and one of the biggest dangers at the moment is that if we get carried away with this global warming idea and it starts to get very cold, we're actually moving in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's right. Victorian elections uh, last so long ago now. You were, you were in Tasmania when they were occurring. and uh, Yes, uh, I saw it from the other side. <laughs> the other side of the small ditch. Yeah, so what, what do we think about that? Because an extraordinary result, and uh, for those of us who are definitely a bit more left-wing like ourselves, a, a good result overall, although if you were a bit further to the left and a, a green uh, a green voter, then you'd probably be a little less than happy because the Greens didn't do as well as they should have, given that trend towards the left, you could say. Or is it a trend to the left? What is it? You know, I think this left-wing, right-wing thing is so last century, really. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. It's you know it's it's really it it almost harks back to like layer four values of you know good or bad, you know this is my good that's your good you know left or right you know and and really neither left or right wing politicians have all the answers at the moment and that is so clear you know it's part of the reason why we're seeing the fragmentation of the major political parties is because neither left wing or right wing solutions really cut it. Yeah, we but have. what what did cut it in the Victorian elections, in my opinion, is that the Labor Party did not descend in the same way to the uh, to the blame game, to the uh, the the um, you know what's the word I'm looking per- for? A lot of personal attack. Yeah, whatever. the personal attack, particularly yeah. on uh, on Somalians, on on street gangs, on on young people, on on uh, terrorists, so called fear mongering. Fear mongering, basically. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was a that was a really big shift because, of course, the Labor Party can also play that game quite a lot. Uh, arguably, though, the coalition, and particularly the right wing of the coalition across the country very much focuses in this sort of law and order to put in under a big banner the law and order issues the Labor Party just doesn't seem to be buying that uh, game anymore and I I would suggest that that's a large part of why they were so successful in Victoria and Victorian elections Victorians tend to be fairly intelligent people in my experience overall yeah, if we look at the, the trends associated with this value shift, we're looking at decentralisation of power as, as one of the issues. So any political party that's looking to increase the centralisation of power, yes. you know, but, and, and this secrecy yes. law stuff is just a classic example of that. Any party that's doing that is moving in the wrong direction. You know, they're, they're actually opposing the, the whole global tide of change. Um any trend that is moving towards building, rebuilding community is in tune yep. with the global trend. So, yep. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to actually work mm. out how your policy should be shaped at this time because there's a massive, massive global shift moving in a particular direction. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the encryption bill there, which in this last week federally of uh, sitting parliament for the year, 
the uh, Morrison government is trying to ram through, push through the encryption bill. But uh, the Labor Party and others have some serious questions about some elements of this, that it doesn't have uh, enough uh, safeguards. Uh, and even the President of the Senate has said that the legislation may uh, erode parliamentary privilege. For example, tech industry leaders say that their global repula- reputation is on the line. And all of these, all of these uh, aspects of this control, this attempt at, to me, to me, it's a sort of last-ditch attempt at control that uh, the powers that be in that sort of layer five, layer four, five um, dominant paradigm that has been on the planet for a long time is desperately trying to hold on for dear life to uh, to controlling us all and not letting us get away with actually getting together and actually talking amongst ourselves and actually finding some new solutions. Just like the children, the school children on uh, last Friday in, in Australia who came out uh, uh, for um, climate change yeah. and uh, as one topic, but, you know, just the notion that it's our future yeah. and your decisions as 50, 60, 70-year-old men mostly um, are, are impacting us at 16, 17, 18 and you're not considering us at all. You're not considering the community of, of humanity in yeah. total. Very refreshing to see the, the mm. electoral result in Victoria because it's an indication that Victorians have chosen not to continue with this regression to older value sets and, yeah. and more extreme views, that they've actually said, no, that's enough. We want to go in another direction. It's very, very promising. Um, and it's, it's particularly promising because it shows that we're not necessarily going down the same road as the USA right now yeah. in politics. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You are now tuned to Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. And a few other pieces. Neurohacker Collective is one thing that we look at at times. And an article on psychobiotics, bacteria to brighten your mood is an interesting one. The microbiome is a word you probably may know now, but five years ago, even two years ago, it may not have been a term that you were familiar with. It's a term for the vast ecology of resident microorganisms that live in symbiotic relationship with us. And I guess in that sense, it's that part of uh, our awareness, the complexity of our beingness, uh, this whole area. And you would think that, um, you know, perhaps that rich and fermented foods and beverages um, are fairly recent, but they actually go way back and can be traced back as far as about 8,000 BC to the origins of fermented milk or kefir attributed to shepherds in the North Caucasus Mountains, for example. Uh, the exact origins of all of these things are lost in the annals of time, but Neolithic vessels point to intentional fermentation of fruit, rice, or honey beverages being a common practice even 10,000 years ago. So this process increases the bioavailability of nutrients. Fermented foods contain beneficial microbes that aid in digestion and promote the growth of healthy gut flora. But can these bacteria also affect mood? And that's a big question now. What I find fascinating about these new scientific discoveries and trends is that they correlate so nicely with the large-scale value shifts and, and ways of thinking yeah. that are changing. Yes, in indeed. Evolutionary shift that's going on. Mm. And, of course, you know, I think I mentioned before, one of the big trends is a trend towards community on a large scale. Yeah. And here we are discovering these communities inside ourselves <laughs> at the same time. It's, it's just beautiful. It's, it's such, it is beautiful. You know, as above, so below, yeah. as they say. Can you feel it, folks, out there? Can you change it? Isn't it, isn't it a beautiful thing, that resonance, the as above, so below? Really Absol- good. Absolutely. Mm. And it turns out that these bacteria inside of us 
have the capacity to generate many neurotransmitters and yeah. neuromodulators found in the brain, like, for example, serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, yeah. GABA, acetylcholine. Yeah. So in other words, they can have a considerable effect on our, our mental faculties yeah. Yeah. Um, and help you know, rebalance mo- and, and modulate the levels of these things in our system. You are what you eat, and not just your physical body, your mood, your psychology. That's right. And yeah. there are new trends you know, in psychiatry at yeah. the moment to look at actually diet and uh, supplements, you know, as, as you've been saying, yeah. uh, to affect our psychological state. Very, very interesting in our psychiatric state as well. Mm. Um, and of course, dysfunctions in the in the gut brain axis uh, are being linked to conditions like anxiety, depression, uh, autism spectrum disorder, schizophrenia, uh, neurogenerative disorders. Mm. So it's amazing to think that we may be able to address these conditions simply through dietary practices and, yeah. and, and using some of these things uh, like kombucha and kefir and, and uh, the like. And there's a number of studies, a study, for example, by John Cryan, a neuroscientist at University College Cork in Ireland, found that two, very, uh, two varieties of bifidobacterium produced by his lab were more effective than escitalopram, which is Lexapro, some pharmaceutical antidepressant, at treating anxious and depressive behaviour in lab mouse strain known for pathological anxiety. Poor mice. Known for pathological anxiety. That's much. Yeah, they come yeah. hiding, don't they? Those laboratory oh, mice. Things, God, sweet things. I have compassion for those Me mice. Me too. Me too. <laughs> but you know, there you go. So we're we're on a, a real new cutting edge uh, of science in this in this arena. That's aren't right. We? And yeah. more bad news for big pharma. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're going down. It's amazing how these old structures just just do not want to die. I wonder why. Pretty mm. obvious, really. But it's a very exciting field indeed and uh, something we're going to keep an eye on because I think uh, most of us in this region uh, are on one kind of diet or another, one kind of supplement or another, one kind of theory or idea, but all of them are sort of coming into this notion that we are a, a, a total living system, a, com- a complex system where many parts are interacting all the time and that you can have influence by feeding yourself the appropriate psychobiotics at the appropriate time. And uh, I, I find it to be really fascinating and, and important area of human discovery at this time. That's right. It's the start of a psychobiotic revolution, no doubt. We like to talk about psychobiotics. Um, yeah. And you've got, have you got another piece about yeah, this? Yeah, another, another one along the same yeah, lines right. of, of this as above, so below. You mm. know, here we are like building new networks globally and we're discovering new networks at the same time. It's, it's mm. like as our mindset, our perspective on reality shifts to embrace these, these different concepts like networks, for example, and, and the sixth layer that we're mm. moving into right now is very network-centric. Yeah. Here we are starting to take notice of networks inside our bodies. And so there's yes. another article which I came across in Quantum Magazine uh, about long overlooked tunneling nanotubes and other bridges between cells acting as conduits for sharing RNA proteins and even whole organelles, which are little things that live inside cells. And basically, in short, what it's saying is that um, these things have kind of been seen once or twice, but nobody's really understood what they were. Some of our methods for preparing uh, cellular tissue for observation, destroy them. So that's part one of the reasons why they haven't really become well-known up until now. But some, uh, someone recently, a scientist recently, started to look at them more closely and found that uh, these little networks uh, involving what they call microtubules and also nanotubes um, extending like little tunnels from one cell to, to neighboring cells, 
they are, they are networks that are created uh, during a, a healing process whereby uh, healthy cells extend these little communication tubes to unhealthy cells nearby to to help them out basically and i mean you know what another as above so below wonderful example of how we're creating so networks all around the world at the moment to reach out to people who are perhaps less in need or yeah. you know in in certainly in need of connection and communication yeah. uh, and here it is happening inside ourselves yeah yeah I mean, this is this is really uh, an enormous theme. We, we've found, we've we've seen, I, I guess, uh, certainly in the last fifty years. I, I'm thinking now. Of, I'm looking at a, a post on the wall in the studio here for the Woodford Folk Festival, and, I, and then I went back and I thought about Woodstock, and I thought about this how we've collectively come together in this way only in the last fifty years in these big, uh, celebratory, musically oriented, usually based around music, which is another example of what connects us because it's universal music to one degree or another it's pretty universal so these these physical uh, places where we've come together to celebrate to be together to create community these internal practices that we've begun to uh, become more and more um, fashionable to and functional as well of looking after our bodies, looking after our minds, our spirits, of, of taking into our bodies the things that actually support us rather than the things that seek to de- seem to just destroy us or to uh, to inhibit our natural functioning. So all of these movements are sort of collectively coming and expressing this, as you're saying, this 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 new form of beingness where we are not only engaged on a deeper level with, with levels of ourselves, but through that with community members inside and outside yeah and and also you know building new understandings of reality from from sort of micro nano scale right up to yeah because it has to come from there doesn't it otherwise you're going to be stuck in a in a more simplistic uh, version of or appreciation of life the universe and everything but as you go deeper into yourself into the complexity within the self and see the complexity outside uh, there's a great i find a great relief in that i mean some people are overwhelmed by and that's a part of the Part of the process, isn't it? it the is. confusion and the overwhelm of yep. too much information, too many connections. I don't know what's important. How do I make? How do I discern yeah. rather than judge, but discern what actually works for me, what's true for me, and what's supportive of me in this time? All these elements are sort of coming to the fore. I think most people now can relate to that. Most people in this region, anyway, in this sort of more, I guess, layer six region region of uh, the, the, where connectivity has this quality to it of enhancing uh, our our journey of our, our spiritual journey if you will it does mm. it does and and claire grace work talks about the importance of deep human connection at this particular layer that's, that's particular, emerging you yeah. know it's, it's one of the key things in the same way that personal success is a key driver in the fifth modern scientific industrial yes. layer deep human connection is the key driver in yes. layer six yeah when we jump to just quickly for the last few minutes here that when we move to the second tier as uh, graves uh, expressed it and we're now on that on that edge or moving towards that edge of layer six many of us and certainly accelerating through layer six as we enter and come through it to that point i often see it as a sort of uh, an abyss before us before that momentous leap yes, because yeah. it is such a big change that's coming there but what's you're talking about that that uh that need uh in, in layer six what is it in layer seven as you jump across the the ridge there because suddenly it's not about community in the same way anymore and yet it's very global it's a totality it is absolutely and, yeah. and remember that these layers are not discrete different yeah 
things like the Russian dolls they're, nested they're, inside they're each nested, other. You know, so the the previous things don't go away. So, mm. and and seven because seven involves the development of this amazing multi-dimensional awareness. All of a sudden, it becomes very consciously aware in a way that we have never been before of the previous layers. When we're growing through layers one through six, we're aware of our own state, our own subjective experience in each layer, but we're not aware that the layer actually exists. Yes. Yeah. All we see is people who are like us and people who are not like us. Um, and it's only when we get to seven that we can see the layer, the strata, and we can actually understand that, wow, we've just, I've just grown through that, mm. you know, and this is all still inside me. And I can still, I can actually identify with each one of these. I can see a part of my life in the past where I was that, mm. yeah. And, and so it's a completely new realm. It's so, so different. It's hard to, to describe mm. in the same terms. Um, but one of the, one of the key um, drivers there is, I guess, answering and responding to the question, what do I do with this new understanding I have? You know, all of a sudden I can see a new angle on the entire world and the entire, you know, human experience. And I, I have this access to this amazing understanding of these different operating systems or operating frequencies, mm-hmm. each of which I know from experience mm-hmm. and each of which I, which I can move into and out of and express whenever I need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, what do I do with this amazing multidimensional sort of witness perspective that I have over the, the, um, the entire picture of what's going on on the planet? And what that normally gives rise to is this drive to want to make things better mm-hmm. on a large scale. Mm. This drive to want to attend to the most urgent things that need attending to on the planet, mm. and ensure the safe and enjoyable uh, continuity of human existence on the planet without things, you know, running off the rails. Because it's certainly in the lead up to the the shift during the shift to seven, it certainly looks like things mm. are running off the rails. Yeah. In, in many respects. Yeah, I mean, it's not likely to be easy, but it may be easier than we think. Possibly. It, it will be, with, without a doubt. Mm. I mean, seen from a first-tier consciousness perspective, yeah, that looks, is looks very ugly. layer six or down, it looks <laughs> really, really bad, and it looks like we don't have the solutions. And it only starts to look like we actually have the solutions mm. when we make this big leap in consciousness and we can see the complexity of it all. Paradox, folks. And uh, a little bit of advice from your future sense uh, 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 sense brothers, makers. sense makers, is uh, be uh, make yourself feel feel more comfortable with paradox. Work on that. Work on actually allowing paradox to exist in you. I, I thoroughly enjoy the notion of paradox personally. It always seems to me. I used to say this for a long long time. It's almost like paradox is the language of the divine. If you if you're in the presence of paradox, perhaps you're in the presence of a deeper level of what is really transrational truth, but truth nevertheless, something else there that, that can be addressed. doesn't mean you have an answer. You don't have to have an answer to it. It's a direction, perhaps, that, that emerges from that understanding, like, oh, I can hold this and I can hold the contrary both at the same time. It's kind of very exciting. It certainly is. We'll say goodbye. Thanks for joining us here on Future Sense. We'll be with you next Monday morning here. Thanks, uh, from Steve. Until then. Until then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.